we're going to give them content so that we can teach the business of writing well. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Hi everyone, as you may have heard, this week we're switching it up a bit and are playing for you the audio portion of one of our IEW webinars. Today's episode is part two of that webinar, so if it sounds a bit like you're jumping into the middle of a conversation, well, it's because you are. And like we do for each podcast recording, we'll post any links or websites mentioned at IEW.com slash podcast. Enjoy! So we kind of would pace, you know, for unit one. This is, again, it's approximate because every child, every class, every group is going to be slightly different as to when they become easy. But at our level A materials in unit one, we would kind of pace an LY and a who which. Uh, our level B materials would kind of shoot for an LY, a who which, and a strong verb. But again, if that was going a little too fast, you could slow it down. It's better to go too slow than too fast. Whereas in our level C during unit one and two, you know, over the course of a month, high school students very often could get, you know, three, four, or perhaps, you know, five or, or all six of the stylistic techniques in that first unit month. But the rule is you control. You're the teacher. You're in charge. So even if you're using one of our theme-based books, like uh, CC people are using Medieval History this year. Uh, some of you may have purchased uh, or have one of the other theme-based books, uh, U.S. History or Bible-based writing lessons or Narnia-based writing lessons. Those checklists are just suggested. I really want to make that clear. You, you are in charge of that book. Don't let that book be in charge of you. If the checklist is going too fast and students start to complain, just cross off a few things. As I said, better to go a little too slow and have them beg for the next com complexity than to go too fast and have them be frustrated by it. So again, teaching procedure, again, being with demonstrations and teach the dress-ups. One thing I always do, and again, I hope every one of you will watch at least one of those DVDs or the streaming video of me teaching students because I have done this for so many years and if you get started right, if you say, okay kids, from the beginning, this is the way you set your paper, this is how you add things, this is how you double space and be sure you have space and this is how you don't erase, I think that really is one of the most valuable things on the video because I can explain it to you and I can talk about it, but when you see me do it with the kids, I'm like, okay, that definitely makes sense. And then you just can go and imitate me and I've just had such good success over the years, I want to give you a shortcut to that same level of success. The idea of writing a first draft on paper and then writing the second one 
on a computer that would be okay or they might write it in a final copy on paper and you can read article on our website you know pen versus pencil I am firmly convinced that pen is the best thing for students of all ages to write uh, on paper I recently this summer met four different people over the course of a few conventions educated in England or Europe who never used pencils in school only used get this fountain pens in their classes growing up and I'm not saying you should go that far but uh, you know use the pen it's so much better because you can't erase it you don't have to sharpen it it's not distracting it doesn't change on you all the time it is consistent and it also promotes the crossing out and continuing or writing writing above the spaces pencils can inadvertently create a little bit of this perfectionist tendency that's actually not a good perfectionist it's the enemy of writing like I'm gonna write it so perfect the first time I won't have to copy it over and of course you know good writing is rewriting so if I ever see you know a student who's doing this they're you know they'll erase two words so they can squeeze it squeeze in the three that can be there so they don't have to you know rewrite it well I'll come and mark all over their pens paper with my pen so they know it's hopeless let's try one together if you have a writing source packet you may not have this handy right now but I think you can do it off the screen and just uh, you help me now you can type in uh, your suggestion for some keywords and I'm gonna actually write a keyword outline on a piece of paper here at my desk and I'm going to create this thing the way I would do it on a whiteboard with students and then I'm going to scan it and see if one of our tech wizards can put it up there so you'd see exactly how I would be doing this if I were doing this particular source text with a class of students so the bald man and the fly there's once a bald man who sat down after work on a hot summer's day fly came up and kept buzzing about his bald pate and stinging him from time to time I didn't know flies sting I guess this must be a biting fly just an annoying fly the man aimed a blow at his little enemy but his palm came down on his head instead again the fly tormented him but this time the man was wiser and said I will only injure myself if I become preoccupied with these annoying enemies <laughs> okay you can see that kind of Aesop fabulous uh, fancier vocabulary especially word like bald pate pate when's the last time you used a word like pate so you may if you have a version like this have to define a couple terms there preoccupied tormented depending on the age of your children whatever but I'm going to put a Roman numeral on the paper here and that is going to go with the first sentence uh, in the beginning we don't give any hierarchical value to the Roman numeral it just means first thing coming at you when we hit unit 4 then we give hierarchical value we assign the idea of topic sentence to the Roman numeral but for right now it's just going to be first thing coming at you so there was once a bald man who sat down after work on a hot summer's day give me some suggestion for keywords there go ahead and type in what you like bald sat hot bald sat hot okay we've got bald in the title so we might not have to reuse the word since we know he's bald um, man rested evening that would probably work sat hot day man sat summer ok 
Can you use BM as an abbreviation for bald men? Why not, Jill? Make my life easy. I'm going to go with you on that one because we've got bald man in the title and we've got BM as the abbreviation for bald man. And then he sat down on a hot summer day. All right, so I've got BM sat hot and summer. And there are many options. This is not the only right way to do this. You certainly could be putting whatever you think. But I think that will help me remember. Uh, and he was probably sweaty, too. And, you know, flies for some reason. They, they seem to go for the sweat. I don't know. A fly came up and kept buzzing around his bald pate and stinging him from time to time. Oh, yeah, Jenny, I thought that. But it just all depends on your culture. You could just put M for man. That would be fine, too. Or B for bald. That would be fine, too. You've got the words in the title, so you'll be safe. All right, what do we go with here? Fly buzzing stinging, Sherry says. All right, I like that. Fly buzzing stinging. Fly buzz sting. Okay, it looks like everyone's pretty much thinking those are the best ones. So, fly buzzing stinging. Okay, I'm writing those down. All right, next sentence. The man aimed a blow at his little enemy. But his palm came down on his head instead. Man blow, palm head. Oh, Crystal, you're pushing it there. You've got four key words. You can't do that. You have to get rid of one. Think about which one you don't want to go with. Blow, enemy head, blow, palm head. That'd probably work. Aimed. Oh, look at Deborah. Good with the symbols there. Aim at fly arrow head. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go with that one. I love those symbols. Aim at fly, but the arrow, and it hit the head. All right. Love it. Good. Okay. Again, the fly tormented him, but this time the man was wiser. All right. Tormented wiser. Okay. That looks good. Whoops, too, <laughs> whoops too many. <laughs> Very nice. Tormented man wiser. Again, tormented wiser. Okay. That looks good. Let's go with something like that. Again. Tormented and wiser. All right, and we're coming to the end. He said, I will only injure myself if I become preoccupied with these annoying enemies. All right, and of course he's talking, so we can put quotations in the keyword outline to remember, to remind ourselves that he said this. And injure self preoccupied fly man wiser injure myself if injure preoccupied enemies good yeah i think any of those will work just fine so injure preoccupied with these annoying enemies all right and there's just so many ways you could do this there's no one right way so when i put this in here you know and and show what i've written down Please don't think erroneously that for some reason this is the only way to do it. There are lots and lots of possible ways this could be done. And you really kind of learn what works better by doing it, not by being told necessarily what to do. So I talked a little bit about pen versus keyboard. Uh, Julie, do we have uh, the pen and paper talk available uh, where people could, could listen to that one? I think it was a oh, podcast. Yes, maybe put up the podcast link because we did talk about the whole thing of keyboard versus paper, paper with pen versus paper with pencil, 
And there's some really interesting ideas on how that affects learning and how it affects writing and brain activity and all that. So I'd say go to the podcast for that. I am now sending to uh, our marvelous tech wizard. Uh, oh, it's not going to work on uh, text there, Cameron. I'm going to have to send it by email. All right, so it's coming to you by email, Cameron, right now. And then maybe you can get the thing up and people can kind of just see my handwriting on the paper. So we are getting pretty close to the end. There's still quite a few questions. So uh, let's just go over very briefly the reminders. Establish habits, double spacing, no erasing, etc. Give minimal correction, maximum encouragement. In fact, I would go so far as not even say correction, just give editing suggestions or just edit stuff and don't even give the suggestion. Just write on the paper and say, okay, here's some changes, make it legal. Um, this is explained in good detail in uh, the lecture the four deadly errors of teaching writing. We'll put the link up for that in just a little bit. Very important for people to not get stuck. You should spend no more than six weeks on unit one and two, and that would be for grades two to four, a month or so for grades four to six, probably less than a month for your upper middle school, and I would say you know two weeks, three max, for high school and up. So you want to refresh how to work with keywords, refresh the whole idea of writing from outlines, refresh the idea of double spacing and no erasing and using a style techniques checklist. But don't get stuck there. Move on to unit three no later than a week, uh, a month, or you know, with the primary grades, maybe six weeks. That's so critical. And you don't have to do it perfectly. They don't have to do it perfectly. When people get stuck, what happens is it gets tedious and a little bit boring, and after a while they don't like it. So people call me up and say, oh, we use your writing program, and it worked so well for a while, and now it's not working so well anymore. And, you know, this is December. My first question is, what unit are you on? And if the answer is, what do you mean? What, what's unit? Then I know we've, we've got stuck uh, at, at unit one and two, and we're, we're missing out. Okay, so there you see my little handwritten outline. That's what I would do on a whiteboard. And uh, so you can see it there. Let's go back to the uh, screen so we can uh, finish up with uh, what we've got going here. And of course, writing it out would be the unit two. We don't, we won't do that here because we're out of time. But you can see all sorts of great student samples at our magnumopusmagazine.com. And they're all organized by unit. And so that's a good source of information. Here's a few you can get. This is a funny one, the space fence keyword outline by a upper elementary student. And this keyword outline you see here came from a source text and is written into the paragraph by a nine-year-old here. 2009 US and Russian satellites collided. With so many collisions, a lot of debris was orbiting the Earth. In 1980, 5,000 pieces of debris were tracked. In 2015, over 15,000 pieces, et cetera, et cetera. You get these all when you uh, get the link to the slides. So you can read it at your leisure there. A level B sample. This is a humorous article I wrote once on eggplant. Eggplant is the most disgusting of all unpopular vegetables. It is purple and tastes like sawdust. There's virtually no vitamins or nutrients, et cetera, et cetera. And then the 13-year-old student 
enjoying the thrill of invective where you can really slam into something. Although she does talk about the idea that it can be fried in peanut oil and drenched in ranch dressing to become edible. And she disputed my fact that it doesn't have any nutrients because she's saying it has vitamin C, E, K, and B. Student sample level C. This is from our student writing intensive group C course about Thomas Jefferson practicing his, playing his violin to help overcome reader's block there. So there are some helps for you. I'm going to shift over and look at some of the unanswered questions here. Jill is asking, we're, we're working on the LY words. What will you suggest if my son uses the same one over and over? Extremely. Should I ban it or just encourage branching out? Jill, you know, Webster encountered this problem also with students learning the when, while, where, since, as if, although, adverb clause dress up, that clausal dress up. And so what his rule was, you can only use the one you use all the time, one time in a, in a composition. So you can use it once, but if you have multiple paragraphs, you're going to have to look for some others. So that might be one rule you could. Probably, though, the best way would be to look for some of the substitutes or synonyms for extremely and put that on a little chart that he can reference on the wall or in a notebook. Probably he's using extremely because he's thinking in terms of very, and that's what we use colloquial. And so he's thinking, ooh, extremely is an LY that works in the place of very. So just give him a few more options, and that'll probably solve the problem. And if not, it's really a temporary problem anyway. Heidi, do you have any recommendations for how to progress with IW when working with profoundly gifted kids who remember everything without repetition and who learn lightning fast? Heidi, what a great problem to have. Well, if you've got kids who remember everything without repetition, you can increase the reading level of the source text. You can spend less time on Unit 1 and 2, move on to Unit 3, 4, 5, get yourself to Unit 7, 8, and 9 sooner, and you can introduce the dress-up techniques faster because they're going to get to that point where they're easy sooner. So your easy plus one rule would get you a new dress-up more rapidly. So sounds like a great problem to have. Increase the sophistication of the source text. Move into unit three as soon as possible. Don't get stuck in any units. Have your goal on units seven and eight. And then, of course, you know the sky's the limit with, with those techniques. Kate Tran, question about the help rule. I have an almost nine-year-old, and we've been working with SWF for about six weeks. He's still very dependent on my modeling. Sentence he puts together don't make sense or awkward. My struggle is he's also a boy that craves my attention. Yes, I think, Kate, you're talking about the rule that I put out in the Four Deadly Errors, which is don't withhold help. And I point out in that talk that you actually can't help a child too much even if you try. You can suspect that you are but you can't really do it because they will always tell you when they don't need help. So you're only six weeks into this. I'm assuming it's your first year. So my advice really would be to don't worry at all about helping him as much as he wants. It's okay that you know he wants your attention. He enjoys doing it together. I would say just keep doing it together. I mean, he's only nine years old, good heavens. If you do everything together the whole year, that's fine. You won't have lost anything except 
he will enjoy the process. He will have learned a lot. He will be better prepared to be independent the following year. Um, and he will have a, a good sense of how things go. And at some point, I guarantee you, I don't, you know, I don't know if it will happen when he's 10 or 12 or 20, but at some point he will definitely say, okay, mom, I've got it. You know, so try to trust that principle and don't withhold the help because pulling back too soon, making him have to try to figure out everything more on his own might really sour him to the process when he's not feeling successful. You know, he possibly knows his sentence don't really make as good of sense as yours do. And so, you know, don't don't worry too much about that. Lisa, question. Do you have suggestions on talking to the students about using the model of IEW and still be creative in the writing? I would say don't. Don't mess with any type of idea telling them be creative. This will come in its own good time. Every child is naturally creative, but not necessarily according to your schedule. According to their schedule, you're in one in unit one and two. Just do the structure, do the style. Use the keyword outlines, create the checklist, and it doesn't matter whether they're creative or not, honestly. And one of the most threatening things, I had a very interesting experience, you know, many years ago, but it, I, I remember it clearly to this day, is, you know, I taught this whole class and this little boy was doing really well. He's right in the hair and the tortoise and all this. I get to the very end and I said, okay, now, what you want to do in your last sentence is find two or three dramatic words and make your title out of two or three dramatic words in your last sentence. Now, if your last sentence is kind of short or dull, like, you know, he died, you might have to add in some dramatic words. Well, I tell you, it's funny. This little boy was doing great until that point at which he started to cry. And I said, what's wrong? What's wrong? He goes, I can't think of any good words. You see, I had I had made it seem like somehow he had to, you know, be creative in a way that he wasn't capable of being creative. And immediately that threw him back into his, his fear and his resistance. So honestly, my, my whole way of approaching a, a class of students, I would never talk at all about be creative. I would just wait until it happens. And then when it does, say, wow, that's fantastic. That's a, a neat idea. I never would have thought of that myself. Something like that. But, you know, that's my style. Kelly, Kelly, right, wondering about using grammar words to help them pick out good keywords. This is for little kids. No, see, because parts of speech are pretty abstract for little kids. So I would, and every sentence is different. So you'd be actually in danger if you tried to say now. Choose the noun and the verb from each sentence. Because what if the subject is it? You know, then, then that doesn't make any sense. Uh, and you get all frustrated because they'd be thinking, well, what's the noun? I don't, I don't know what the noun is. I can't figure it out. Sometimes the verb is is. So you wouldn't want to go choosing keywords based on parts of speech. That could be, I think, very dangerously confusing. And it would only work some of the time. And you don't want rules. You don't want, you know, systems or methods. You don't want to teach systems or methods to kids that only work some of the time. So I would just say, let it go. And if they pick three adjectives, you know, that's okay. They Maybe that was the best three because the sentence will come out, it is a blah, blah, and boom animal. And so you've got a great sentence with three adjectives, and that's all you needed to remember. So. Sorry, I'm rushing through these. I hope it's helpful. 
Richard, we have a teacher in the seventh grade room, new to IW Enthuse. We ordered the U.S. history-based writing lessons for each student. Should she teach other source texts first before the history books in each unit? Well, you know, the history uh, book, the, the U.S. history-based writing lesson, is designed for, you know, one assignment a week throughout the school year. If you're in a, you know, four or five day a week classroom, it is very possible that you could do additional source texts. And uh, it would be great for that teacher to, you know, find a few that she thinks would be appropriate at the reading level. Also fitting in with the content. One of the great things about the instruction style approach to teaching writing is that the students learn better what they're writing about. And so if you integrate writing about things you want them to learn in the content areas of, say, history or science or, you know, Bible or health or whatever you're studying, they will learn that better. So yes, you're welcome, but I don't think you're required to supplement the U.S. history-based writing lessons with source text. You know, it kind of depends on how much time the teacher has to devote. Uh, but just knowing those are designed really to have one assignment a week, kind of in a more of a homeschool co-op type of setting is where they were originally designed. So if you have questions about that, Richard, talk to uh, Janet Spittler or one of her team from our schools division, and she'd be more than happy to give you some some uh, good uh, good advice on that account. Kelly, keyword outline, how do you manage students who want to do elaborate pictograms? Well, you make a rule, Kelly. The rule is you yeah, can only use symbols, and it's only a symbol if you can write the symbol faster than you can write the word. So an elaborate little picture is not a symbol. So, you know, that's that's the general guideline. I'm not going to police it too terribly much. And some children do very well with symbols. They, you know, they actually remember things better when they have more visual clues than just the word. So you know, I, I wouldn't be too strict, but the basic idea is if you can't draw the symbol faster than you could actually write the word, it's not a symbol. It's an elaborate pictogram. <laughs> Kathy, you have classes in English and literature. You teach three times a week. How many times a week should we be practicing the note-taking exercises? That probably depends on how much time you have. I mean, you know, literature can be very time-consuming because you want to talk about the books you're reading, read in class, do, you know, meaningful literature activities. So I would say, you know, once, maybe twice a week should be sufficient. It doesn't have to take a long time. You know, if you could budget 20 minutes and do twice a keyword outline, or, you know, if it's a longer, once you get into unit three or five, you've got three paragraph assignments, maybe one, and then some homework. It just, I, I can't answer the question because I don't have much time. But I will tell you this. I would encourage you, Kathy, to have the students not write about the literature that you're reading. Just read about it, talk about it, enjoy it, love it. But don't make them write about it prematurely or you run the danger um, of killing the puppy, right? The way you get to understand the literature is you play with it. You don't dissect it and, you know, chop it up and try to overanalyze it too soon. Otherwise, what happens, kids start to hate that. What you could do is find some source texts about things connected with the literature. So if they're reading, for example, a story by Mark Twain or a book by Mark Twain, well, give them a source text with some biographical information about Mark Twain or the Mississippi River or something that is peripherally connected, but don't make them write an analysis of Tom Sawyer 
because that's probably the quickest way to cause someone to hate the book, Tom Sawyer. So that would be my, my quick advice for you on that one. Rebecca, no, I don't say you ever have to rewrite a keyword outline. She's saying, do you recommend a final draft for each keyword outline or stopping a rough draft? There's no rough draft. It's just, you know, a keyword outline is a keyword outline. A rough draft is when you put that into sentences and then you want to refine those sentences or add in some dress-ups or whatnot. That's when it becomes kind of a different activity. So, yeah, no, no copying over of keyword outlines. That would be tedious. I would hate that. May. My kids struggle with coming up with the title for their writing. Sometimes the last line keyword outline doesn't necessarily fit for writing. What are your suggestions? Well, I just give them some suggestions that you think might come up with a good title. Or you can teach them the reverse trick. If the last sentence doesn't give them good words for the title, let them make some kind of title, hopefully that has a couple dramatic words in it, and then add on a last sentence or work those keywords into the last sentence. And I would, you know, I would say this is not hugely important in unit one and two. You're going to find this will get easier as you go into unit three with the story sequence chart, unit four, the topic concert paragraph, unit seven, creative or inventive writing, unit eight, essays. So don't stress over this at this point in the syllabus. Just give them some suggestions and, and whatever they do is fine. And then you can, you can continue to model it and they'll probably refine that as you work through the units over the course of the school year. Yeah, so Kate, uh, I'll say that once again. Maybe Julia will type it. Easy means <laughs> they can do it without too much help and it doesn't sound too goofy most of the time. That's the colloquial way I would define it. So you can take that for what it's worth. Adrian, um, we have levels A, B, and C. All our materials are kind of organized in this way. Group A is essentially a grade 3 to 5 rating, reading level. I don't say grade. I don't say age. I just say reading level. So if you have you know, a student who is older and needs a simpler reading level, that will work just fine. Or on the other hand, if you have a younger student who reads very, very well, that's fine too. So group A is approximately grade 3 to 5 reading level. Group B, approximately grade 6 to 8. Group C materials are approximately grade 9 and up. And uh, But like I said, there's a lot of flexibility in there, so don't worry about that. Jessica, my daughter's intellectual abilities don't match up with her writing capacity. Short articles are often not interesting enough to her. Longer articles result in too much writing. Based on what you said earlier, would you recommend using half of a longer interesting article as a source material for Unit 2? Answer, yes. Second answer, I think you've probably got it by now. I think you know what I'm going to say. Don't get stuck at Unit 2. She's sharp. Move into Unit 3. Move into Unit 4. The problem, as you are describing it, is one that is most typical when you're matching sentence by sentence. When you get to Unit four, you can have as long an article as you want, but the rule is you only get to have X number of facts. So here is an article with 50 facts. You write a paragraph summarizing by choosing some of those facts, and your limit is seven. So of the 50, choose the best seven. That's the task. And uh, so she will learn limiting much better in, in unit four, and then again in unit six. She can go wild and crazy and write stories as long as she wants in unit three and five. I wouldn't care. But in unit four and six, that skill of limiting, that's going to be where she's going to uh, start to have to see how that goes and choose, you know, what are the most interesting, important, or relevant facts? And, and you know, sort through, okay, which one do I want? I can't tell everything there's to tell. i got to tell some of it, not all of it. 
So don't get stuck at unit two. Move past it in a couple weeks, and I don't think you'll have much of a problem too long. Heidi, do you ever have kids mind map the keyword outline? My answer, Heidi, is no. Not that it is an inherently bad thing to do, but here's what I've found, is that whole mind map idea, you know what I'm talking about. You put the thing in the center, and you have to go out the edges, and then you go off the side of that and all that. That tends to help least the kids who need organization the most. So it's not inherently bad, but two things to know about it. Number one, it was never designed for children. It was actually created at the writing project at UC Berkeley for college students, for adults. Didn't, you know, then the education people got a hold of it, tried it in high school, didn't work quite as well, so they pushed it into middle school. Didn't work quite as well, so they pushed it into elementary school where it really didn't work very well, and then they just said, well, we need to do more of this. What I have found is if you have a linear outline, it does not hinder the sharp kids who will see relationships and reorganize on the fly and you know be creative and and add and and put it in, in a way that they think is a better way to go. It doesn't hurt them, the linear method. And it really helps the kids who just need to know, okay, what do I do first? What do I do second? Okay, I did it. Whew, done. Okay. Let's let's take a break. Now we'll do another one. And so um, you know, that would be my response to that is that there's nothing wrong with it. It tends to work less well the younger you get. And our system doesn't handicap anyone. And it really helps the kids for whom that mind map would be kind of a <laughs> shotgun of words on paper. And they could be easily overwhelmed by that. So, In student intensive, it seems as if 12 weeks are spent on units 1, 2 combined. If following the suggested schedule, am I missing something? I don't think that, as far as I know, you would be only four assignments into units one and two. So I think you may be a little misreading that schedule. But why don't you maybe contact us directly, and we'll get someone to kind of go over the student writing intensive scope and sequence with you. Because as far as I am aware, you should be done with that. You know, If you did one a week, you should be done with it in about a month and then into unit three. So, all right, I think I think we got to all the questions. And thank you very much for those of you who stuck it out all the way. I We did run a little bit over, but those were all very good questions. And of course, we have lots of ways we can help you. If, if you have a question that uh, you didn't type in or that's still on your mind, you can always call our office. We've got lots of people who can talk to you. We've got our podcast. We've got webinars to help. Of course, you're here this, you know about that. We've got our blog, forum, e-newsletter, Magnum Opus Magazine. These are all available. Most of it's free to you. I am just so excited about all of you starting out with Structure and Style this year. I know you're going to have a great teaching year. I will be here around the beginning, around the first week of each month to introduce the next unit and troubleshoot a little bit, answer questions, and because in my world, you are the most important people out there, teachers, tutors, parents, helping children learn how to speak and write clearly and winsomely and confidently. So God bless you. Do not grow weary in doing good and have a great September.
Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.